We love new people at Hope. For those of you that I haven't met yet, my name is Pastor John. It's really nice to meet you. We're really glad that you're here. I'm going to actually, Charlie, could you hold? I just need you to take this off my hands just for one second. You can just go ahead and put that in your lap there. It's not too heavy at all. There we go. Thank you. You had your Wheaties this morning. That's good. Excuse me. I'm just going to get one more. There's actually two boulders. So I'm going to go ahead and grab, grab that other one. This one's really, oh boy. Wow, I'm glad I've been working out well. This thing is just something else. Charlie, you doing okay there with that one? Good. Does anybody else want to hold just the one, just this one? For No, I'll put it up here. That's okay. That's fine. We'll just set this one right over here. Oh, man. Tell you what. Not one boulders, but, but two. It's just good to get that. The, these boulders are amazing. They're shedding. Uh, tell you what. Wow. My word. It's good to get these off my hands. I, I've been carrying these all morning. I I went and stole them from the pond, so there they are. Uh, tell you what, there's a, um, there's a story in the Gospel of John chapter 11, as I was carrying those boulders to church today, there's a story from John chapter 11 uh, where Jesus arrives at this town called Bethany, and it's a really small town, it happens to be where his friend Lazarus lived, and Lazarus happens to be the brother of Jesus' other close friends, Mary and Martha, maybe you've heard of them as well. They show up at the tomb later on in the story. So Jesus arrives at Bethany and he discovers that, well, Lazarus is dead. He's not living. I'm out of breath. Those things are heavy. He discovers he's not living and he's been in the tomb for four days. They didn't like dig graves back then. They, they put him in these caves and you can imagine the smell. Like, they're not meant to be open. Once you're in the, the tomb, you're in the tomb, and the, they would roll these giant boulders. I just happened to have a couple boulders up here today uh, to demonstrate, but they, they would roll this giant boulder over the front of the tomb, and that was kind of the, the, the nonverbal sign of it's done. Like the, the story's over, death is the end of the story, you roll the boulder, it's, it's a sense of permanency. There, there's a, a division there, boulders separate. Boulders get in the way in that sense. Like they're probably going to get in the way up here today, but they get in the way. They, they separate death and life. It's a permanent division. Boulders separate. Boulders divide. Boulders prevent connection. I mean, it would, in Lazarus's case, when Jesus shows up and, and he's been dead for four days, I mean, it would literally take a miracle. It would literally take a miracle for something to happen. He's Dead And so boulders separate, not just in our story today, John chapter 11 here, but very much so today in our lives. Some of you are probably wondering why I lugged up two, I mean, these are real boulders, people. <laughs> Some of you are wondering why I lugged up two real boulders up here on stage today. It's almost like, you ever heard that phrase, there's an elephant in the room? Well, I couldn't bring in an elephant, uh, just different issues with that. So I chose boulders uh, instead because boulders are kind of like an elephant that why would somebody do a sermon with two giant boulders on stage and not address them? Well, you, you kind of need to address it. You know, there's something going on in our uh, culture. There's something going on in our nation that was really big that happened this past week. It involved thousands of people. Everybody was waiting for it for months uh, in, you know, everybody's in an uproar about it. It's, it's the headline news. Everybody's talking about it. The, the biggest news of the past week, Iowa beat Michigan. Woo! Oh, were you thinking of something else? I, I, 
oh, right, the election happened. That's right, okay, yeah. Too bad nobody has an opinion on that, so we don't even need to address that uh, at all. So um, i tell you what, how about them Hawkeyes, though? Holy smokes, that was exciting. Here's the thing. I think God knew we needed a little pick-me-up this week. You know, after last week with the, the terrible tragedies and the shooting and then the Cubs win and then after what happened this week with the we just need a little pick-me-up. So he's like, I think I'm going to have the Hawkeyes win because God is really involved in college football games. So I really, go Cyclones, too. They beat Kansas. Woo! Okay. So <laughs> back to the gospel, things that matter. So there Jesus is, the, the, the stone is rolled in front of the tomb, and boulders separate. Boulders are kind of like the elephant in the room. You, you got to deal with them. They're just right there, kind of like the week that it's been. And whether you want to be or not, every single one of you are a part of a country that is deeply divided. And trust me, every single pastor in the United States on Tuesday night went, oh boy, because, you know, we just love to preach about politics because everybody loves it. Everybody uh, agrees on the same thing, and it'll just be great, and I won't offend anybody, I'm sure. Um, we live in a country that is deeply divided, and there are some massive boulders that separate us. Culture likes to say you, you're kind of on this side or you're on this side. Boulders get in the way. They, they separate us. They prevent connection. They prevent relationship, and we live in a country that is deeply divided. And I have some things we're going to preach on today, but we can't avoid the boulder in the room. And so this past year, and certainly this past Tuesday, sort of fanned the flame of many of the, the differences and the opinions and the underlining beliefs that we have as a people. And hear me say this. I want to just be loud and clear on this. Hope has always been and will continue to be a mission-driven church, a mission-focused church, meaning the mission that we've been given to reach out to the world around us with the everlasting love of Jesus Christ, to, to, that, that when people encounter Jesus' love, their lives are changed. We're, we're in the business of transforming lives, and business is good. That's what we're about. We are a mission-driven church, and that is paramount to any one single political agenda or social platform or single issue. And that's not to say that issues don't matter, though. They're just lesser than. It's not to say that they don't matter, because those uh, uh, issues do matter. The, the issues of, of, of race and equality and re reconciliation, they do matter, because before they were political issues, get this, they were God issues, because every single person that's sitting around you today and every single person you encounter in person or on Facebook is made in the image of God. And they deserve dignity and value and worth. Not because of who they are or what they do, but because of who created them. God doesn't make junk. God doesn't make accidents. God doesn't make mistakes, and that includes you this morning. And so in our interactions, these issues do matter because we're not talking about issues, we're talking about people. So we have to remember that, and if they matter to God, they should matter to us. But they're never the main thing. The mission is always the main thing. And that's what I love that Paul says in our reading today uh, that you heard read from Philippians chapter 3. What I love about Paul and what I love about the book of Philippians, he's like, I'm in jail. I don't know how much time I have left, so I'm just going to get right to the point. I'm not going to beat around the bush, and this is what it says. Let's read what Paul says together. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him. The Greek word there for garbage is a little bit more PG-13 than garbage. 
And it's not to be rude or vulgar. Paul's just drawing this distinction. He's, he's talking about his titles and his accolades and his positions and his wisdom and his knowledge and how smart he is and all the experiences that he's had. And you could even put in that slot politics. You could put in that spot your social agenda, your social issues, or whatever that you are speaking up about these days. And Paul is saying it's not that those things are not important, but when you compare them to the glory of the God and the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, they will always be lesser than. The mission of the church has always been and will always be to know Jesus Christ and make him known. And so we will always be a mission-driven church. He's not saying they're bad. They're just saying in comparison, they're way down there. Where is your focus these days? And yet a part of our mission as a church is to be witnesses, is to be representatives of Jesus on this earth. We are the body of Christ. And so we represent him on this earth. And how we do that as Christians, the messages that we send uh, will determine our effectiveness in that mission. So these things do matter. The culture is watching us. They are watching to see, so how are Christians going to react to this whole thing, on either side of the aisle, no matter where you stand. And we have an incredible opportunity to be a light in some pretty dark times. And there is no doubt that the election left a lot of you and people around you feeling fired up. Some, a lot of you feel empowered. Now you feel like you have hope. And for others of you and a lot of those in our community, they are angry and they are shocked and they are deeply concerned. Many, many people have been deeply affected by the anger and hatred and violence in reaction to this whole thing from both sides. And so regardless of where you stand, there's millions of people, and I was thinking about it this week, thousands of people that are around us in our neighborhoods here, these are the people that we're trying to reach They're not those people. They're not the people on the other side. If our mission is to reach out to the world around us and share the everlasting love of Jesus Christ, in a lot of ways, the world has come to us here in Des Moines. And if our goal is to reach the city, well then, these are the people we're called to reach out to. And so there's a lot of things that I think on both sides, we feel like we maybe don't have control over. And yet the one thing we do have control over is our response to these things, right? And so Jesus talks about, uh, uses this analogy in Matthew chapter 7, there's a road. There's a road. He says the road is narrow. And if you have a road, that means there's two ditches, which means there's kind of two ways to fall off the narrow road, two extremes that we want to avoid. And our response to these things, I think there's two ditches that we want to stay out of today. So if you imagine that road going right down the middle here this morning, on this side, on this ditch, I think one extreme is that we as Christians, in response to how people are handling this, we have the tendency as Christians to, hear me say this, over-spiritualize it. (laughs) And what I mean by that is in response to people that are getting all worked up and they have concerns and disagreements of what happened, I hear a lot of people saying, and I'm just as guilty of this as anybody, to say, well, just trust God, it'll all be okay, God's in control. It doesn't matter who's president because Jesus is king. Is that true? Absolutely is God in control. Yes, he absolutely is. Jesus is king. But it does matter who's president. Because people live in the country where that president is. We all live in that country. And so the message from us as the church, the message from Christians, is not it's fine, get over it. The message is we want to listen. We want to seek to understand. We want to pray 
for our leaders, regardless of what political party they are. We want to listen well. I don't find it a coincidence that back in this story of Jesus and Lazarus, Jesus is God. He's in complete control of the situation. He knew Lazarus was dead before he got there, and Jesus shows up, and the God of the universe could have come in and said, knock it off, stop your weeping, stop your wailing, stop being angry, stop being confused, stop doubting, stop crying. I'm just going to raise him from the dead. It'll be fine. I'm still on the throne. Don't worry. But he didn't do that. Read John chapter 11, the shortest verse in the entire Bible, the one that all our confirmation students love to have be as their memory verse. Jesus wept. Before he does anything else, he shows up and he mourns with those who are mourning. He hurts with them. You do know that the people that, that, that are doing these protests, not all of them, but a lot of them, they're grieving, they're hurting. And as Christians, we're called to mourn with those who mourn. We're not called to agree with everything that they're doing or what they're saying or what their beliefs are, but we're called to listen and understand, to be quick to listen and slow to speak. You do know that anger is a secondary emotion, right? Anger is, is because of something else is bubbling up, and a part of the grieving process is anger. And I'm sure at Lazarus' tomb that day, there were people that were angry, even at Jesus. The God of the universe wept. And so we're called to weep with people, to seek to understand. I love what a gentleman said at our first one church gathering that we did with Elam. It's primarily an African-American church, and we sent some people down from Hope, and we just, we just listened. And one young uh, African-American man in his 20s got up, and, and at the end of his talk, he said something. It's just so simple and yet so profound. He says, you can't see what you can't see. We don't know what it's like to be somebody else. And until we've walked in their shoes, we got to do a lot more listening than arguing and talking. Is it more important that they feel loved or that we win the argument? And as Christians, we're called to love. We don't know what it's like to be each other. And so we don't lead with, what I'm saying is we don't lead with catchphrases. We don't lead with something that we just read on the internet or heard on Facebook. Well, that sounds like a good Christian thing to say. We read the Gospels and we say, how do we live like Jesus who, to be honest, isn't on either side. <laughs> there are aspects of that, but we're called to follow Jesus in that. And so we lead with love and compassion and a listening ear. Regardless of our differences, we seek to understand and we realize that leading with love doesn't mean we have to give up our core convictions. And so that's the one ditch. We don't want to over-spiritualize it, and yet as we seek to stay on that middle road, we don't want to fall into the other ditch either as well, which I would, I guess, for lack of better terms, is to under-spiritualize it. <laughs> to say, to, to freak out and to say, oh my word, God's not in control. It, it, to get so wrapped up in the things of this world and these arguments that we forget. Scriptures say to fix your eyes on things that are above. Don't get so focused on the arguments and debates and the issues of this world that you forget that you are a part of, a, as Jesus says, a kingdom that is not of this world. Jesus says to the rulers of this world, you have no power over me because I'm the king of kings and lord of lords, and we shouldn't forget that. And in our conversations, in our arguments, you know, we forget this passage in 1 Corinthians 13, which everybody's like, oh, that's the wedding verse. It's all about love, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. You know, before that, Paul says, unless I love, 
unless I lead with love and seek to understand and compassion, unless I love our opinions and our arguments and our Facebook posts and end up sounding like a giant clanging cymbal. I could demonstrate that for you, but you don't want that. A giant clanging cymbal does two things. I was thinking about it this week. It's annoying and it makes you deaf if done long enough. If we don't lead with love, we can make people deaf. We lose our platform to be able to speak. Love creates a platform to have the dialogue that can lead to transformation. And so we're called to lead with love. What I love about Paul and what I love about the book of Philippians is there's no doubt what's at the very center and what is the passion of his life. It's Jesus. Did Paul have beef with the the, the political leaders and the, the leaders of the day? Did he have arguments with people? Did he get angry at times? Absolutely. But he did not let that become the defining piece of his life. I was thinking about that this week. Like, Paul has this, such a passion for people that don't know Jesus. He has such a passion for people that are lost. And I was thinking about that. What if we were known as the church that had a passion for people to know Jesus? Maybe some of you are Republicans. Maybe some of you are Democrats. Maybe some of you are something else. But that doesn't define us. What defines us as Christians is that our hearts break for those people that don't know Jesus. And at the end of the day, that's what I want to be known for. I have, it's great, get involved in government, have your opinions, do all those things. But at the end of the day, I want the defining thing that people remember me for is that I was loved by Jesus and because of that, I loved others extravagantly. And we as a church had a passion for the tens and thousands of people in the city that don't know Jesus. And I don't want anything to ever get in the way of that. I don't want to compromise our mission. No boulder, no stone, no grave get in the way of that. Amen? That's who we're called to be. The mission is always paramount. So my encouragement to you at the end of the day is to make your opinion known and then get busy being a part of the solution. I want to encourage you to spend time offline for the kingdom as well. It's a both and. Don't get so wrapped up in that that you forget to be a part of the solution. No matter what in this ditch over here, don't be paralyzed by fear. Live in such a way that when unbelievers look at you and your reaction to all of this, they go, Oh, it seems like everybody else is freaking out, but these Christians, it's like there's a calm in the midst of a storm. It's like there's an anchor to their soul, and it's like, wow, they really do trust their God. Remember where your hope is found. Remember that the results of an election are not the end of the story, and so we find that middle road. We don't veer to the right or to the left, no pun intended. We don't veer off into the ditches. We find the middle road, the narrow road, as Jesus says, and we don't avoid the elephant in the room. We don't avoid the boulder just because it's hard to talk about. We address it head on. Now, I don't know if I'm sweating just because I have a sweater on or because that's the most I've ever talked about politics in this church. So can we move on? Okay, let's do that. So there's some boulders on stage. Boulders divide, boulders separate, and boulders also get in the way. Boulders get in the way of where we're called to go and who we're called to be. They get in the way of the mission. But what I love about this church, and even in your differences, you keep the main thing the main thing. You find that narrow road, and there's one thing that God hasn't called us to be as a church, and that's to be all alike. I guarantee you're not all alike to agree on everything. And the beauty of hope is that you don't. We are made up of people that have strong opinions on both sides and everywhere in between, and yet here we are. Here we are, not because we're all alike, 
but because, get this, this is the last thing I'm going to say, and then I'll promise I'll be done with this, the Jesus who unites us will always be stronger than the politics that divide us. Amen? The Jesus who unites us will always be stronger than the politics that divide us. So Jesus is after our unity, not our uniformity. And that's the power of the church. I love what Martin Luther said about this. He, I was like so excited to work in Martin Luther to a sermon about politics. This is great. So here comes Luther, and he just has this short little phrase, because you remember, before he translated the Bible into German, it was written in Latin, and he just has this short little phrase, satis est. Everybody say, satis est. Satis est. Now you know a little Latin. It is enough, Luther says. People were continuing, always coming up to Luther, saying, what is needed for the unity of the church? What is needed for the unity of the church? The problem is that some churches will say, well, if you don't believe this, then you can't be a part of us. If you're not like this, you can't be a part of us. If you don't like this kind of worship music or whatever it is, and people were coming up to Luther and asking these things. What is needed? What is enough for the church to be the church? Can we truly be the church together despite all our differences? That we like different kinds of preaching, that we like different kinds of worship music, that we like cookies rather than donut holes, that we, that we like to sit in these types of chairs with those types of, the, the, the name, the denomination that's written on the outside of the church door, whatever it is. And Luther's simple statement is, satis est, it is enough that the gospel of Jesus Christ, that the life-changing love of Jesus is enough to rally around. And if we have that at the center, and if our eyes are fixed on Jesus, and we are passionate about the same thing, we will always stay on track, and we will stay on that middle road. We don't go to the right or to the left. We stay focused on the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the thing that unites us. Satis est, major in the majors. It is enough. Amen? Amen. Some of you are like, oh, that's kind of a big concept. It's Latin. Come on, John. Whoa, where are we going here? If you need to bring it down a little bit, Let's talk about the Chicago Cubs, okay? So here's a modern-day example, and I promise this will be my last Cubs sermon illustration at least for another week. So here's the Cubs, right? They have this victory parade, right? Luis, you were there, right? You were there. Hard to get into Chicago. Five million people, one of the largest gatherings of humans in our nation's history. And as far as I know, I haven't heard, but as far as I know, no violence, no protest, nobody got hurt, just celebration, why? Satis est. It was enough that they loved the Cubs. Five million Cubs fans, all passionate about one thing. It is enough for us to win the World Series. I don't care who we beat. I don't care how we get there. Every single one of those Cubs fans is different. I guarantee you, imagine this. Some of them probably didn't even vote the same way. And yet here they are, all passionate about the same thing. I'm like, you want a picture of the power of the church? It's that. Five million people singing, go Cubs, go. And that's why when Jed turned the mic around this morning and we were all singing together, I'm like, that's the church. Your voice is needed. And it doesn't matter if you voted differently than the person sitting next to you or if you're from the city or the suburbs or from rural or if you grew up in the church or you didn't or if you're new to faith or if you've been walking with Jesus for 30 years, it doesn't matter because satis est, it is enough that we are passionate about Jesus Christ and making him known. And if we keep that at the center, it will always be enough. Amen? So how's that? Republicans, Democrats, Cubs, Hawkeyes in the first 10 minutes. How's that? Okay? And yet there's these boulders on stage. And here we are. They get in the way. They get in the way of mission sometimes. They get in the way of moving from here to here of where we want to go. And so I want to take you back a little bit today because we are in the middle of this giving campaign. 
which we're talking about our mission and our vision and, and who we are as the church. So I want to take you back to June of 2008. I know, that's a long time ago. June of 2008. And after months of prayer and planning, there was about 75 of us, and some of you are here today, I know, that gathered for the first time at Hubble Elementary School for our first official worship service. And there we are. There was 12 people there, and um, the next week there was maybe six. But we rebounded, and we got back up, and we gathered for the first time. We were bright-eyed, and we were bushy-tailed. I mean, I tell you what, we had everything we needed to go reach the church. We were coming out of Hope West Des Moines, and we were going to go plant a Hope Church in the city. We had everything that we needed. We had a great little music band, and our worship leader played the harmonica. I mean, we had donut holes. We had maroon padded chairs. I mean, what more do you need to be a church? Some of you remember those. Ugh. But we had everything that we needed to be the church, or at least we thought. But it didn't take us long to realize that God had placed us here in the city, not just to have a worship service every week, but to have our hearts broken for the things that break God's heart. Because it hadn't taken long for us to realize that within just a few miles of where we are worshiping, and even closer than that, a couple blocks from where I live, there are people lining up every single morning for handouts, for food to feed their families. There are kids that have been abandoned by their parents, literally, and are wandering the streets. There are less and less fathers in the home again and again. There are dozens of refugee families that are displaced here every month that have nowhere to go, that have come from uh, displaced countries devastated by war. There are people all over our neighborhood, people that live next to you that have been burned out on religion, that no longer see the church as relevant to their life. And we're sitting back here going, but we got donut holes, got cool music and some good preaching. You should, you should come. And we quickly realized that maybe we weren't just here to come to a place once a week, but we were here to be the church. And so we encountered the first boulder. If our journey as a church is from here to there, we encountered our first boulder as a church, and it was the pain and the brokenness and the fear that exists in the city, and that's why God sent us here. And so for six years, we hit the streets, literally, loving and serving and continuing to grow, and by 2013, it had become clear. You know, this whole, like, set-up, tear-down thing is fun for a while, and we really like those padded chairs, but it would really be nice not for our own comfort primarily, but for the sake of mission if we had a permanent space. When we look at the life of Jesus, Jesus came to this earth. He didn't helicopter in and helicopter out. He didn't say, well, I'm going to come down to the city and then tell you that I love you and good luck with everything and then leave and go back to heaven. He came down. He dwelled in obscurity for 30 years, listening, understanding, serving, weeping with us, mourning with us, understanding our pain, walking in our shoes. Then he did three years of ministry. He didn't parachute in and parachute out. He was there. He lived incarnationally. He said, if we're going to be a church in the city after Jesus' own heart, boy, it'd be nice to have a place to invite people, a permanent spot 24-7. So in the fall of 2013, we launched this giving campaign called Building Hope Together. Everybody say building. Everybody say hope. Everybody say together. Now put it all together. Building hope together. That's what we called it based on Ephesians chapter 4 is we're building this church together. And you gave generously, not just financially, but so many of you with your time and with your talents. A lot of you don't know this because you're new, but this was a car dealership. 
The first time I walked in this building, right where I'm standing, there was a car getting its oil changed. The, 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 the car dealership was not in use, and so the, the guy that owned it, his grandson, had a batting cage set up right here. It was a dump. And yet, 75% of this work was done by you, was done by volunteers. Many of you here for six months in a row, every single Saturday, literally pouring your blood, sweat, and tears into this place because you took ownership of it. Because it's not John's church, it's not the leader's church, it's your church. Ultimately, it's God's church. And so you, you poured your heart and soul into it, and now in a couple weeks, we're coming up on our couple-year anniversary here. On December 7th of 2014, we moved in and we came home for Christmas. And here we are, and it's like in that moment, God said, nothing is beyond me. Nothing is beyond me. Now that boulder doesn't seem so heavy. I'm a God of miracles. I'm a God that removes boulders, that removes barriers, and now you can run, and now you can go be the church, and we did, and we did, and yet I think it was maybe a month or so before we moved into this building, somebody came up to me and they asked me, John, what's your biggest fear of having a permanent space? What's, what's your biggest fear of moving in where people can just come and sit down and they don't have to do a lot, you know, during the week? I said, well, that's not going to be the case. But I said, I'll be honest with you, my biggest fear is that we'll think we've arrived. My biggest fear is that we'll get comfortable. My biggest fear is that we'll assume, because I have a church home, that that's enough. That because I have a nice place to come, and I come and get my coffee and worship and hear a nice sermon every week, that we're good, and that we're satisfied. I pray that we would never be satisfied. I said, that was my biggest fear, and I said, but you know what? I'm not really fearful about that, because I know this church because I know that you're an incredible church with a passion and a heart for Jesus, and you would not be here unless you were okay with being a little uncomfortable for the sake of making him known. The goal of Christianity is not to be safe and comfortable. It's to be transformed. And I know that's why you're here, and so I wasn't concerned about that. And boy, if anything, we've done that the last couple years. Just so you know, if, if you needed a reminder of how God can work through incarnational ministry, of having a, a permanent home, a place to invite people to, if you're wondering why that's important, I just want to give you a snapshot of the last couple years. And this is not to, oh, look at us. It's to say, whoa, look at God. In the last couple years, we have more than doubled as a congregation. We have gone from one to two to now three services. And last night, that service, Saturday night service, did not exist 10 months ago, and it was packed. Praise God for that. Amen? So we continue to grow in that way, not just wide, but deep. Over 400 adults have participated in a small group, a life group of some kind, in a class, in a training to grow in their discipleship. Get this, over 160,000 meals have been packaged from meals from the heartland to send all over the world to people that are hungry right here. You can clap anytime you want, that's fine. And I love the fact that those meals were packaged right where you're sitting this morning because this isn't about singing songs and praying prayers and then going home and not doing anything about it. It's about putting words, it's about putting hands and feet to the words that we sing and the prayers that we pray. And so those meals have gone out. Our breakfast club ministry, the reason that so many of you are here this morning is there are people that are passionate about reaching out to you and making sure that you feel loved. And I know that many of you, that even though you have temporary housing or you're living at the shelter, this is your church home and you are members of this church and we are honored to have you be here a part of our family. Amen? 
Not to mention our WizKids program is two years old. Over 30 neighborhood kids come here every week, and we provide them a meal and games and a Bible lesson uh, and mentoring and tutoring. Uh, and, and if that wasn't enough, I just saw this in our annual report. I didn't even know this. But over the course of this last year, 123 people have been baptized at Hope Des Moines. That is something to get excited about. And it's not, you can keep clapping, that's fine, absolutely. And I look at those highlights and I look back and think, man, I'm so glad that back in 2013 there were people thinking of us. I'm so glad there was people back in 2013 that said, you know what? I, I, I'm going to be all on board with this because I, I trust God. He's a God of miracles that he can do these things. But it's not just the stats. It's not just the, the numbers that we're called to be like, oh, wow, look at us. And we're called to be satisfied with that. It's the changed lives. I think of the story a couple years ago my friend Kirby, that was a part of this ministry, that he was living on the streets and found an apartment and started getting connected here with Breakfast Club, and a couple years ago on Palm Sunday, I baptized him. A couple months later, he passed away of a heart attack. And he was a member of this church because he had a place to come to, to be loved and accepted. You may have heard of this tragedy in the news of the 14-year-old boy that was shot and killed. And you might, oh, you know, it's just those boys running around, probably involved in the gang. His brothers come to WizKids here on Thursday nights. And I'm so glad that they have this can be a second home for them. You never start too young. And that's why we do what we do, to think that we might have missed it. And so it would be easy to stop there, to be satisfied with where we're at, but that's not the kind of God that we serve. And so I think our best days are still ahead of us. As we stand here and as we look out, yeah, that one boulder's gone, but if you'll notice, there's a second boulder. There's a second boulder out there. There's other barriers that are standing in our way. Because here's the reality. I think we're just getting started. I think that God has more for us. As amazing as it's been, I think we're just getting started. Turn to your neighbor and say, we're just getting started. We're just getting started. We're just getting started. There's tens and thousands of people in the city who don't know Jesus and don't have a church home. There's thousands who are hurting and addicted and lonely and wondering if there's a place for them in a church. And until that's done, our work is not done. And so we look to the future and we grow as a church, not because bigger as a church is better and not because smaller as a church is better, but we grow because better is better. And better means more effective in ministry. And as we look out, we see this other boulder over here that continues to get in the way as well. If you have your flyer on your chair, I want you to pull that out as we close today. There's a giant boulder. And it's the remaining debt that we have on this building that you've heard so much about. And it's not so much about money. It's about who do we want to be as a church. There's a second boulder, there's a barrier, this debt, this loan is standing us in the way of us carrying out this mission. I don't know about you, but it's worth giving our lives to. A mission that's bigger and that's going to last longer than anything else. And so it's this loan that we took out in a, in, a, in a safe, fiscally responsible way and this debt we need to pay down. And on your flyer, you'll, you'll see that, you'll see the breakdown. And next week, when you bring your gifts, we're going to celebrate we're going to celebrate in style. We're going to celebrate like it's 2016, because it is. And we're going to have a big old party, and you're not going to want to miss it. But that's a pretty big boulder. And it's standing in the way of the vision that God's given us so that we can spend less, so we can give more, to be freed up for future growth. I don't know if you know this, but we're out of space. 
We're two years into this thing and we're out of space, not just on the weekends, but during the week. Our poor high school group meets in our backstage closet back there because there's nowhere else for them to meet. So these are great problems to have. And so as we pay down this debt, we save on all that interest that could go outside of this building to help create more stories like I shared with you this morning. We pay down that debt so we can get rid of that boulder, so we can run freely, so we can purchase future land, future buildings, so we continue to grow as a church. And I can't tell you how exciting it's going to be when I can stand up here in front of you and say, this boulder's gone. I think I'm going to pull off one of those things they used to do on David Letterman. I'm going to take this giant boulder. I'm going to walk it up to the roof of this building and I'm going to throw it off, I think, or something like that. I don't need to do something. But it's going to be an exciting day when that's not there and we can run freely. So here's the invitation to be a part of what God is doing. On your flyer there, you'll see three things. Number one, Number one, I want you to discover what this is all about. Go back and grab a packet at the Welcome Center today. Come to the informational meeting later on. Get to know it. Number two, pray. And the prayer is simple. God, what do you want to do through me to accomplish your mission for Hope Des Moines? It's not our mission. It's not our church. It's his. It's not what you want to do. It's what he wants to do through you. God, what do you want to do through me to accomplish your mission for Hope Des Moines? And then be obedient. And if that's continuing your current gift, it's that starting with a new gift, it's that re-upping for another year, whatever it is, then you give. Not out of guilt or compulsion, but you give out of joy. We were talking this week about what our campaign slogan should be. I just wanted to throw the finalists out to you. We had thought about fork over the cash. That quickly got real... Uh, uh, taken out. It was down to two. It was down to two slogans for how I want you to view money and how I want you to view uh, this campaign. So one slogan we were going to throw out uh, was show me the money. Wow. Jerry Maguire, anybody? Okay. Or the one we actually went with was just God's got it. Why does God have it? (laughs) Well, because he's the God of miracles. He's the God that moves boulders. He's the God that, that nothing is beyond him. And so there they were. Hundreds of people, sad, mourning, lost, confused, gathered around Lazarus's tomb. And after Jesus wept with them, after Jesus took the time to just slow down and listen, he was talking to Mary and Martha, and he said this to them in John 11, verse 25. I am the resurrection, and the life. And anyone who believes in me, even though they die, hear me say this, even though they die, will live. That life always wins over death and love always wins over hate. The resurrection and the life. And then he said, do you believe this? Do you believe that I can still move boulders? Do you believe that I can even overcome death and then which he proceeds to call Lazarus out of the grave and the guy comes walking out of his own grave and why does that matter you're like I don't know Lazarus that's great that was a miracle but I need a miracle it matters because a little while longer Jesus did it himself and he came walking out of his own grave and he ruined his own funeral because he's the resurrection and the life nothing is beyond him he's the king of kings and he's the lord of lords and there isn't anything that he can overcome can't overcome in your life 
their sin, your death, not to mention the power of evil. And if he's overcome the grave, he can certainly overcome a loan or a debt. Certainly he can overcome the racial and political things that divide us. Certainly he can overcome any boulder that you are facing today. He's a God who moves stones. He's a God of miracles. God is not up in heaven this week going, oh my word, what happened in America? I'm shocked. I didn't see that one coming. You better believe he's on the throne. And he's standing with us, weeping with us, hurting with us. He's in complete control. He's a God of miracles. Jed taught us this song at the beginning, this song called Miracles. And as you sing this, we're going to sing it one more time and just the chorus one more time.